that's my chair. I will try to yes. sit still. Try to keep your chair in, 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 in under control, please, Paul. Yeah, it sounds like a Lincolnshire parrot. It does. <laughs> <laughs> It's Friday, October 2nd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, the most popular podcast of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Belgian Government Watcher, and with me today are Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Ice Cube Queen, and Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Lincolnshire Wildlife Enthusiast. <laughs> I think our job titles are on point right yeah, now. Yeah, we have a very, uh, yeah, we have a very diverse and accurate range of job titles. I'm very satisfied with them this week. Um, yeah, m- m- uh, Molly, you've been hoarding all the ice cubes. It turns out. Yeah, I have. I personally am hoarding all of the ice cubes on the continent <laughs> of Europe, and thus yeah, not but, allowing any European to have ice cubes. That is, in fact, yeah. correct. Yeah, yes. uh, because uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you posted that picture on Twitter of thing of these funny. Uh, uh, translucent blocks yeah have you guys as europeans have you guys ever even seen ice cubes before i posted a video of it on twitter why wouldn't we (laughs) wow paul is paul really needs coffee this morning i think yeah (laughs) um no i was forced to post a video proving that europe has ice cubes because america's version of of rook der bregman uh matt iglesias (laughs) uh went on this tweet rant about how comparing American coronavirus statistics to European coronavirus statistics are not useful because the EU, the European Union isn't even a place that has ice cubes, for God's sakes, acting as though like the EU is some sort of horrible backwater, like, you know, developing country. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like some kind of, yeah, exactly. Some kind of desert kingdom where you can't get ice in your drink place that you would need to get like eight vaccinations to be able to travel to and really have to worry about like being held hostage or something you should have to take like a scythe when you travel here so you can sort of cut your way through the undergrowth when on the way from the yeah you know he did point out that italy and spain are nice places to vacation um which apparently is his only experience with living or being present in europe um Yeah, and I was annoyed by this, so I went to my freezer <laughs> and dumped a bunch of ice out and made a video of it and posted it on Twitter, which people found amusing. So Yeah, there, there are a lot of very entertaining responses to that tweet. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen anyone get ratioed that hard on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, that's, cool. yeah, I mean, it's bad. I mean, Matt Iglesias is an idiot, for sure, uh, but this was particularly idiotic of yeah. what he had to say, and he he is also the guy who tweeted at the outset of coronavirus that nobody's ever heard of Mark Rutte, but he is going to go down in history as being the person who handled coronavirus the worst, which yeah. has really turned into a to an ironic uh, uh, message, <laughs> considering that Matt Iglesias is an American citizen. And, yeah. and the person who's handled coronavirus the worst is his own president. Who now has coronavirus. Who now so. has coronavirus. Wait, Trump has coronavirus? Yeah, Trump has yes. coronavirus. Really? God, Paul, you yes. are really out of it. <laughs> You're really morning. behind the curve. God, you well, slept through everything this morning. Well, yeah, <laughs> I I woke up in the middle of the night, opened Twitter, and saw that Melania Trump f- hates Christmas. But for the yes, reason, she also <laughs> hates Christmas. I was aware of that, but not 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 uh, about the uh, current. Uh, Both of uh, them have tested positive for coronavirus, uh, and I have spent my morning 
having an ethical debate about whether or not I am a bad person for hoping that Trump dies of coronavirus. But we'd like to stress that this is a purely philosophical uh, question. Completely yeah. philosophical <laughs> yeah. debate in all senses. Of so the it's world. harmless. Speaking of things that are harmless, Paul, tell us about what's going on with the Belgian government. <laughs> uh, well, as we might know or not know, Belgium finally has a government after 500 uh, days of uh, negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a record, though. The old no. record was in uh, from t- 2010, I believe. Uh, it yeah. took them uh, 541 days to, uh, to form a government. And the funny thing is, nobody noticed. Uh, the, the country <laughs> just... Just, just kept running, and uh, yeah, well... It, uh, I mean, uh, running it, in air quotes, but yes. It, it, indeed, because we're talking about Belgium, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the, the country works perfectly fine with or without a oh. government, so that's, uh, uh, the, that's always the, very interesting, I think. The country works perfectly fine is a bit of an elastic statement. During yeah. the, um, the like, debt, Eurozone debt crisis situation, actually, Belgium had better growth than a lot of other countries because it mm. had no government to make yeah. dumb decisions. Exactly, <laughs> so yeah. Belgium yeah. was the only one who did okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, the funny thing is that uh, Belgium has a lot of political parties and forming a coalition between them is even harder than it is in the Netherlands. The current coalition has seven parties, so that's mm. that's, that's an enormous amount. But they always, uh, the, the, uh, all of a the sudden they called it the Vivaldi coalition yes. and i was kind of curious why would they call it the vivaldi uh, uh, coalition and apparently for every possible coalition belgium already has a name for it yeah um so the vivaldi coalition for example refers to the colors of the well four major parties in that coalition that's green red uh orange and blue that mm-hmm. refers to uh, uh uh the seasons the four seasons yeah. in a year and that refers to vivaldi's the, the four seasons, four seasons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um but uh i looked i looked up on wikipedia uh these uh, these sort of possible coalitions they have and they have very interesting names for example they have the arizona coalition that sounds uh, awful yeah. <laughs> is, is that just a, is that a coalition that's in a different time zone from everybody else uh, well uh, 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 no it refers to the flag of uh, Arizona um, because it also contains of four major parties which have the colors red orange blue and yellow and apparently that's the, the, the uh, that's also the, the colors of the flag of Arizona mm. uh, they also have for example the Swedish coalition that is uh, uh, a coalition between a uh, blue party and a yellow party, and also a Brazilian coalition that's uh, that green, sounds painful. <laughs> that's green, blue, and yellow, and very interesting. They also have a Jamaican coalition, um, right? But yes. when I when I looked at their colors, I couldn't really understand how that could refer to the flag of Jamaica. That's uh, the green. Uh, a green party and a orange party and a blue party but mm. apparently if you take the german equivalent of these parties and take their colors then you <laughs> right. have the colors of the flag of jamaica okay so that's how the their, that name came about which are green yellow and black right yeah so, yeah yeah so uh, that was very interesting and for all these these coalitions they have a president except one one coalition didn't never happened, and that's the watermelon coalition between the Green Party and the Socialist Party. <laughs> so we've been getting a lot of mail from our Minnesota fans who keep claiming that their government system is possibly as complicated as Belgium. 
to which I would like to say, <laughs> absolutely yeah, not. You don't know you've been born, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, and well, we should remind everyone, of course, that Belgium is trying to do this in at least two and probably three languages. So all yeah, of your watermelon yeah. has to be translated into Dutch, French, and German. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had a nice discussion with uh, Barry Johnson, who who comes from uh, Minnesota, and he explained to me in in detail how um, uh, you know the administrative system of Minnesota uh, uh, Minneapolis works, uh, mm. and we agreed that it is probably as complicated as Belgian, but the complicated com- more complicating factor in Belgium is the bilingual trilingual situation that they have in that country. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which adds a whole new dimension. Yeah, so that's like like, like, uh, yeah, like like Minnesota, but in three, yeah, in, in three dimensions. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. four-dimensional Minnesota political chess. Minnesota <laughs> chess. <laughs> Gordon, what are you up to this week? What is going on with your animal collection or whatever? Mind, this, there this just seems to be is. some kind of outburst of uh, of animal news, and in this yeah. case, it really was an outburst um, because this is about a wildlife park. Oh, is in this the, about the parrot? This is about oh, the parrots. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the parrots. These are the parrots in a wildlife park um, in Lincolnshire, which were, were there aren't that many. We have, I've, I've, I used to live uh, just on the border of Lincolnshire, and that was close enough. That's far too close, really. There aren't many reasons to visit the place, but one of them was that uh, there was this wildlife park with uh, about five parrots, and they had to be moved out of their cages last week because they kept um, saying, they kept using bad words. Uh, so th- someone had taught them uh, lots of uh, lots of words like fuck and piss, and they, they, they kept repeating them in front of all the visitors, who of course turned round shocked, and that encouraged the parrots just to keep on doing it. And then the parrots all taught each other all these words, so they had to move them away from the the, you know, the areas where they might get heard by you know sensitive types or children. I so the sweary parrots. I just want to preemptively <laughs> say I've never been to the Lincolnshire Zoo. <laughs> well, and now, yeah, now you missed your chance. I've missed my chance to go to go and get sworn at by a parrot. It's it is so. a lifelong goal of mine to get sworn at by a parrot. It's true. So there's a huge amount of opeth in Lincolnshire about uh, yeah about the um about the foul-mouthed feathered friends. <laughs> well, luckily uh, in the Netherlands there is also a lot of opeth. Uh, yes, please yeah. tell us about this ridiculous opeth. The opeth of this week is that people are mad at civil servants because from now on they will get a bonus for drinking coffee and pooping. Will this bonus last for ten years, as Mark Rutte has promised? <laughs> Nine and a half years from now on. Nine and a half years. Um, <laughs> trade unions uh, managed to arrange an annual compensation of 363 euros for civil servants who are working from home. This compensation is based on calculations of Household Spending Institute Nibbert, who calculated that people working from home spend an extra 500 euros uh, a year to cover the cost for of not being at work and this includes one euro 20 for gas and electricity 70 cents for six cups of coffee or tea and two and a half cents for toilet paper a day um, and this is the first time a payment for home working has been included in a pay deal since the corona crisis of course most of the 120,000 civil workers were forced to work from home and many people on social media were angry at the uh, toilet paper bonus as they called it <laughs> they feel it uh, they feel it is incomprehensible that a compensation of almost 400 euros for civil servants can be negotiated in a matter of weeks while healthcare workers for example haven't seen their salaries rise for years and not even uh, not even after all their hard work and efforts during the corona crisis here is the thing they are right in that 
it is shitty that healthcare workers are not getting paid more, and we absolutely positively need to pay healthcare workers, especially nurses, more, a lot more. Also, it is also true that if you're working from home, it costs you more money and that you should get a bonus for this. Both of these things are true. But does it cost you more money? I don't really... Yes. My my electricity bill is substantially higher than it was before I was working from home five days a week. But, um, but uh, I mean, uh, it cost uh, on average two euros more a day. Uh, for people for, for someone who f- to work from home but you don't have to travel to work uh, uh, sometimes that uh, uh, that is one and a half hours a day that you don't have to spend in public transportation or in a car so that's also time that you uh, can save at home so yeah but I can't I mean I can't earn extra toilet paper money with that hour that's not how hmm. jobs work and hmm. also I mean my travel costs are covered by my employer so I'm not spending less money. I'm like, that's not my dime. It's the companies that are saving the money on the travel costs for the most part. Okay. And all of the other things like the toilet paper, you know, which we use more of and drink yeah. more. I mean, in this house, we don't drink coffee, but <laughs> we're drinking you tr- coffee. You drink we're gin we're because We're drinking the... way more tea. <laughs> we're drinking like, way more tea. I'm, yeah. There's like a yeah. lot more things that are, that are costs that are mm. being outlaid. I don't think that this is, I mean, also like 363 euros a year is like not that much money. I just yeah. think we should also pay nurses more. Like I'm, I'm also yeah. in favor of that. Yeah, yeah. and also, you, 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 yeah, and also because you're 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 spending that extra money, that means also mean that that's a saving for the company, right? Their electricity yeah. bill that's should true. be lower yeah. because their employees aren't at work. They won't be buying all the uh, all the tea and the the people uh, spend the whole day making in the office um, yeah. or, or buying the extra toilet paper. So yeah, that they they should have the money available to, to to give their employees a bonus. I just love the whole idea of the negotiations to decide. <laughs> on yeah. this rate of two and a half cents for toilet paper like yeah. i can imagine they spent weeks just sitting down at a table so going to going 2.6 pe- 2, 2.6 <laughs> cents or we're going home yeah <laughs> and I eventually mean, coming it, up with this figure and this didn't really take into account a thing that i actually think has cost people a lot of money which is you know mostly a singular cost but like you know we bought my partner button you know expensive noise canceling headphones because now we have to work in the same room together and like we you know people buy extra monitors we had to buy an extra desk chair like there was a lot of cost outlays that came from working from home all the time like i'm not i don't have any problem with them getting a little bit of extra cash for this i just think they should also pay nurses more i'm i'm in favor of both of these things This week we update you on a plague of catfish, a plague of crayfish and a plague of U-turns and unclarity by the government in their attempt to tackle the corona crisis. It's lockdown 2.0 time folks, or Locktober as Paul is calling it. (laughs) Or at least we have a few more measures that were announced at the latest installment of the Corona press conference show on Monday. The numbers are bad and the government is expecting them to get worse. Health minister and hair wax model Hugo de Younga told reporters on Monday evening he expects infections will rise to 5,000 per day in the next few weeks. In response, the government has imposed a series of new measures aimed at curbing the spread. They include bars have to shut by 10 p.m. and cannot allow anyone in after 9. Home visits are limited to three adults. Spectators are banned from sporting events because they can't stop shouting. Companies must allow employees to work from home. And in Amsterdam, The Hague, and Rotterdam, where the infection rates are the worst, travel is limited to only necessary trips. Also, Mark Ritze is going to start wearing a mask at the grocery store in a flip-flop move we have not seen since Constantine converted to Christianity. We've got a full list on the website, which we will link to in the liner notes. So 
I mean, what did we think about the press conference on Monday? I was kind of, I yeah, impressed is too strong of a word, but happy to see that they had admitted that mistakes were made and that they are going to try to do some stuff to curb this situation. Yeah, it's it's good that they did admit their mistakes. Um, I guess that's encouraging. But then you still think, go back and think, how did you not see this coming after the first wave? I mean, after the first yeah. wave, they all sort of said, you know, we we won't do this, make this mistake again. Then the second wave came along from mid-August, and they just sat in their hands. So yes. at least they have kind of turned it around. They've put in some stronger messages. Uh, they've uh, they, they, yeah, they they finally kind of conceded the point on face masks, which we'll discuss uh, in the next item. So, uh, but. Yeah, I guess eventually uh, they're actually showing a bit of leadership and decision making. But I think they were far too lax in just expecting the country to kind of right itself there at a time when, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic crisis and you need to act first. And yeah. yeah, I mean, people, we know this about human beings, that they like sort of take their social cues from what group dynamics are. I mean, like this is why like you have keeping up with the Joneses and all this other stuff. And so like, if you don't have a mass of people doing stuff, then people are not going to do it. So if it's not common occurrence, if it is not normal to wear a mask to the grocery store, then people are not going to wear masks in the grocery Mm -hmm. store. So you either have to force that by legislation or find a way to change it in some other way, like by wearing masks, you know, having all politicians show up to wearing masks. So every time you see them on television, whatever, and try to like shift these norms in a different way. And it's just like, this was something I learned in like psychology class in high school. So I don't understand how Rita and DeYoung did not get this before like should i just have mailed them my high school psychology textbook yes yeah okay apparently i should have done that good today uh yeah i would have been happier if they had this uh press conference two or three weeks ago um yeah we have this corona dashboard with all these values and all these indicators and all these signal values Uh, if, if if these values come above this certain amount, then we have to take some action. And I mean, the the, the signal value of, of uh, amount of people uh, being tested positives a day that, that has been uh, above the signal value for two or three weeks now. So uh, yeah. I don't understand why we had this Corona dashboard in the first place if we didn't act upon it. So yeah, um, yeah I think it's a little bit, uh, 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 all these measures, I would be more happier if this was uh, announced three weeks ago when, um, you know, the signals were there that, that, uh, that it was going in the wrong direction. Yeah, the warning signs are clearly there. And the other, I mean, the problem with the dashboard, I always thought, was that these the, these values are kind of set numbers that don't move. But what's more important, really, is, is the rate at which the virus is increasing. When yeah. it's doubling yeah. in a week, you might only be on half your signal value. But if, you're, if your numbers are doubling in a week, that means next week you'll hit it. And that means you've got to take action right now rather than just wait for it to pass uh, to pass the milestone. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, you know, typical Dutch approach to medical care, which is have a cup of tea, take a paracetamol, go home for two weeks and see if you die. (laughs) And if not, you can call again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unless you're 15 minutes late for your appointment, at which point it's been cancelled and you have to make one next week if you're not dead. If you're not dead. 
As one of the last countries in Europe, people in the Netherlands are now urgently advised to wear face masks in all buildings open to the public. This came after a majority in the Tweede Kamer is now in favor of making face masks compulsory. On the advice of the outbreak management team, the cabinet has always been reluctant about the necessity and effectiveness of face masks. Scientific research in March suggested non-medical face masks had a very limited effect on the spread of the virus. There were also uh, concerns face masks could give people wearing them a false sense of security, making it more likely they'd break the far more important one and a half meter distance rules. Following a shift of Prime Minister Mark Rutte's own favor day party on Wednesday, a majority of MPs are now calling the government to come up with a clear national guideline. The regional differences in rules and lack of clarity about when masks should be worn irritated the Tweede Kamer. The mayors of Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague and Eindhoven had already advised their citizens to wear face masks in public places in the past week. Following a fast rising corona infection, in their municipalities and uh, people were also advised by the cabinet to wear them in supermarkets on Monday. Uh, officials will now work out the measure in detail and for example they will also answer the question if it should apply to schools but the measure will not be compulsory because that will go too far, Prime Minister Mark Rutte said, but by uh, recommending the use of face masks nationwide it will prevent confusion. Yeah, and speaking of confusion, I mean, Rutte has been against um, making masks compulsory so far. Uh, why has that been? At the beginning of the no. crisis, medical and professional face masks had to be safe for healthcare workers uh, because a global shortage was, was feared and scientific research had also shown that uh, wearing a non-medical face mask was not effective to prevent the spreading of the virus. Uh, keeping one and a half distance, uh, a meter distance uh, was very effective on the other hand. Uh, and also studies suggested that wearing a face mask could give a false sense of safety. That light, a compulsory face mask in public transport could have been uh, could have been seen as a good alternative for one and a half meter distance. Still remains a mystery for me, uh, to me, but okay. Uh, it's also quite curious to see that in almost all other countries in Europe and elsewhere around the world, with the exception of, I believe, uh, Sweden and Norway, uh, wearing a face mask is, is yeah, basically regarded as a no-brainer, right? Everybody is doing it. Um, so yeah, it was it was very strange that, that in all these other countries people are wearing masks all the time and that the government here is still you know being very reluctant uh, to 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 make it compulsory or at least advised to wear one so uh but yeah uh, at the end uh, a, a little bit late if you ask me the pressure became just simply too large for the cabinet uh, especially because it now came in the form of a parliamentary majority and uh, that they no longer can ignore of course i mean so i have a i have a mask hot take that will get us some uh, some hate mail um, which is, is that I'm not convinced from the evidence that I've seen that masks do very much and that I don't really think that it makes much of a difference that you should be much more focused on staying away from other people. Even if I don't necessarily think that this works, like I am not a trash human being and if it makes other people feel more comfortable and that like lowers by a few degrees the amount of anxiety that is in the world right now, that is like not such a big deal. Like it is, we live in a society, it is not that hard to wear a mask, put a goddamn face mask on and shut up about it. I don't know, that's, that's, that's actually pretty much my view on it as well. I'm not really convinced it makes a huge difference. And I think when you look at the countries where masks have been um, strictly enforced for longer, um, you see a very mixed picture. I mean, France and Spain have got very strict mask regimes and yet their numbers have been uh, spiraling as well. Uh, Luxembourg is one of the first places to get it like a summer wave and they, you pretty much have to wear a mask all day. It is insanely compulsory in Luxembourg. As somebody who's been there during Corona, it is insanely compulsory. Or, or how about 
Or how about Madrid, for example, where uh, it's also spiraling out of control, even though uh, it's very compulsory over there as well. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, that there are a lot of studies that say masks uh, you know, make a difference. They make a difference in the spread of the virus. And you lots of see diagrams about how the droplets spread. But I think the mask is one half of the equation. The other half is the person with the mask on. And if they're not wearing it properly or they wear a mask that's substandard, and a lot of masks are substandard, I, I go along with you. I think uh, yeah, if it makes, it makes people feel, feel safer and feel less anxious, let's do it. And also, I would rather look back in three months from now and think we overreacted yeah, than look back three months from now and think, oh, God, we yeah, underreacted. For Indeed. sure. Mask wearing is an indication that all of society is trying to be in this thing together. And that, like, it is a show that you are committed to trying to do things that make the world around you a better and a safer place. And I think that alone is enough of a reason in 2020 to wear a mask when you go into a shop. Wear a mask when you go into a shop. It's fine. Unemployment is forecast to hit 6.5% next year, as the coronavirus bites, and the Netherlands' biggest companies are not immune. See what I did there? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shell this week announced the loss of 9,000 jobs in a restructuring programme, while construction group BAM also said it was reducing its workforce by several hundred. I think it's really funny that the biggest construction company in this country is called BAM, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What is also funny is there's a construction company called Anchor, which has uh, lots of it, and its logo sort of looks a bit like the letter W, which comes in front of the anchor. So you have all these forklift trucks going around with, with a swear word on them, which I think is delightful. Anyway. Stop making fun of our glorious construction industry. That joke will make no sense in Minnesota, where the word wanker is probably not, uh, not common currency, but anyway. No. Minnesotans uh, are too nice to call someone a wanker. Indeed. Um... Another 850 jobs are going at Tata Steel in Imaden, whose Indian parent company has been accused of asset stripping by trade unions. And national flag carrier airline KLM has reached an agreement with cabin and ground crew unions about a cost-cutting program. Up to 5,000 of the 33,000 personnel are expected to be laid off. That's one of the conditions of the government's 3.4 billion loan to keep the airline afloat through the pandemic. But KLM still hasn't come to agreement with its 3,000 pilots about paying conditions, and Finance Minister Vokra is playing hardball, with his boxing gloves on, probably. <laughs> he said this week that if the pilots can't agree to changes to their working conditions, quote, bankruptcy is the only other option. So Hopefully not before I have to fly a KLM flight. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, because you're going to Luxembourg. So I'm Well, the, Luxembourg. Ho- hopefully not before your return flight. That would be yeah, awful. Yeah, hopefully not before I return. <laughs> Yeah. Um, though I, I do have some very lovely friends who, when I was telling them about the whole Luxembourg and dealing with all the drama and going, did volunteer to come drive and pick me up if I cannot fly yeah. back. So I appreciate that. That's sweet to them. I will not yeah. do that. No, of course not. I mean, you would do it if I hired your company to drive and pick me up. That's true. Then I would be happy. Yeah. Which, if I could figure out a way to expense that, I would do it purely for the torture of forcing you to drive through Belgium to <laughs> Luxembourg and then having to drive back with me in a car for six hours. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Gordon, what is the government trying to do for people who lose their jobs? Yeah, because there's going to be a lot of them. So last month, the government announced a 1.4 billion support package, uh, mainly aimed at reskilling. So either for people who need to adapt in their current job or they need to switch to a whole different sector because some types of work are expected to just fall away. Uh, employers who've received support from the Emergency Corona Fund will have to pay back a portion of the subsidy if they don't help workers who they lay off find new jobs. 
Um, Tilburg University professor Ton Wittagen told the Telegraph that the biggest Dutch employers will all become smaller because of digitalization, automation and robots. So we're seeing Corona kind of accelerating a trend that was always already in train. So it's it's bad. It's bad news. Yeah, Corona for a lot is of people, bad. The job situation is bad. Is bad. Yeah, and a lot of jobs bad. are just going to disappear. Yeah. So let's so. ask people for money. How about that commercial break? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a good time, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it seems like excellent timing. <laughs> if you've got any spare cents left over after stocking up on face masks, why not sponsor the Dutch News Podcast on Patreon? For as little as a dollar a month, you can support our efforts to make sense of the government's coronavirus strategy and Hugo de Jong's choice of footwear. This week, we welcome four new patrons. Um, now, we've had a kind of uh, influx of patrons from um, the, uh, the, 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 quote, tiny town of Minneapolis. And uh, we've got another one this week. It's Mike Rushman, um, who says, uh, after being a freeloader for the past few years, I've been guilted by my fellow residents into doing my part to keep Trudy fed and ensure Molly's gin supply is well stocked. I started listening to the podcast following a trip to the Low Countries in 2017, which made me realise that Belgium is overrated. I'm not sure who by, but anyway. And the and the Netherlands is wonderful. So, except when it comes to lab testing, corona samples, and multicolour government formation. Anyway, thank you very much, Mike. And uh, Mike also says he's uh, hoping to move to the Netherlands at some point, although that's uh, going to depend on uh, whether or not Hugo uh, Diona manages to get the corona numbers down. So we wish you well with those plans. I have uh, an amazing Minneapolis fact. And that is that um, when I was young, uh, I think I, an eight, uh, I was five or six years old, my parents um, uh, had a subscription to this uh, Donald Duck magazine. And every two weeks they would send a book about uh, a Donald Duck character, a Disney character visiting a country somewhere in the world. So Goofy went to Australia, Mickey went to South Africa, and there was also an issue about uh, the United States. And Mickey went to the United States and he visited the Twin Cities. Um, St. Paul, I did not have any, uh, uh, it wasn't very hard for me to read, but Minneapolis, I couldn't really figure out how to pronounce it. But luckily we had an American neighbor. So I went over and I asked him, how do I pronounce what it says here because I don't fucking understand what all these letters means and he said uh, he taught me how to pronounce the word Minneapolis and that's arguably the first English word that I got taught oh my god is this why we have such a cult of following in Minneapolis I can only assume this is the reason yes do we have more patrons from Minneapolis well, our next patron is Heather Bowman, who is not from Minneapolis. Uh, no, she's she's from St. Paul. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is out of control, guys. The situation is out of control. Yeah, she says, uh, quote, I've been listening for about a year or so, but I was inspired to finally become a patron when several people from Minneapolis joined. And I thought the quieter, more easily forgotten half of the Twin Cities needed to be represented. Please keep me re- informed about upcoming... Minnesota chapter meetings of the Dutch News Fan Club. So, we now have rival podcast listeners <laughs> gangs in the Twin Cities. Are they fight? <laughs> so, our next patron, who is not from Minneapolis, he's in Eindhoven. And he's promised he'll eat a lavender strobwafel if we pronounce his name correctly. I think it's Andrzej Zielecki. Yeah, Andrzej Zielecki, right. maybe? 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's just when you strip out the extraneous letters, uh, it's just Andre. So I think that's what it is. It's probably a couple of silent letters in there. So Andre, if that's your name. We want video evidence of the Stropoffel consumption. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. We we at least want a picture. Uh, He tells us, uh, quote, I really like your podcast, especially the current events, Twitter relations. I live in the Netherlands and read the news. But your podcast give me more of an insight into what normal Dutch people say about them. I'm not sure which of us qualifies as a normal Dutch person here, but... uh, Paul? <laughs> yeah, me neither. Andre also has another question about masks. He says, uh, how is it that the government is very eager to mandate what people can wear on their faces when it comes to the burqa ban, but when it's a matter of public health and safety, they only give advice for wearing masks because obligation is too strong? Is it part of the Dutch mindset that I will never grasp? <laughs> uh, I have the most ironic thing ever. I saw it happening in Parliament today, uh, yesterday, and that was uh, Geert Wilders, who said... I'm not feeling comfortable to, uh, uh, that the government is deciding what what people should wear or not. And I was like, yeah. oh my God. dude, you came up with the book, I Ben. He spent 13 years <laughs> yeah. arguing for exactly this thing. And finally, we say thank you to Barnabas Kutasi. Uh, I'm surely mispronounced that. Uh, but Barnabas is from Hungary and has been living in Amsterdam for a year, making a living as a software engineer. He writes, I'm learning Dutch, uh, though admittedly at a slow pace. I'm in need of local news in English to get to know what's happening in my country of residence. I really enjoy your podcast, especially that you're not only reciting dry news, but also reflecting on it. That makes it easier to engage with the culture I'm living in, so keep up the great work. Barnabas is a great name. I I support the name Barnabas. It's a good name. I think both his names are good. If you'd like to join our growing and international band of patrons, you can log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Joost Bay, the man accused of abducting and killing 11-year-old Nikki Verstappen in 1998, told the court this week that the boy was already dead when he found him on the opening day of his trial on Monday. Joost Bay is alleged to have kidnapped Verstappen from a summer camp in Limburg, sexually assaulting him and then killing him to conceal the crime. Other than a brief statement made during an earlier procedural hearing in which he denied having anything to do with Nikki's disappearance, Bay has so far exercised his right to be silent. But on the opening day of his trial, the 57-year-old told the court that he had found the the boy's dead body and panicked because he had a previous history of offenses involving young boys. He claimed that he searched for a pulse, which explained why his DNA was found on Nikki's body and underwear. Prosecutors say 27 traces of DNA on Nikki's body and clothing match the suspect's profile. The case was unsolved for 20 years until a mass DNA profiling exercise in 2018 linked him to the crime via family members. Yost Bay uh, was found living outside of Barcelona in a remote area by the Spanish police in 2019 um, after he had been reported missing by his family the year before. He's been in custody ever Ever since um paul so this like this has been quite a big news story i i guess in my sort of orbit but i was wondering if you remember sort of as a younger person growing up here if this if this had like a big impact on dutch society uh nicky verstappen got lost i believe in 1998 or he was killed in 1998 um uh, I can personally not remember very much about that particular case because I was—I think I was just too young in 1998. Uh, but it is one of these stories that has been, you know, dragging on for years because it was ever since it was a mystery who killed him. Um, I'm not—I wasn't—I was never that familiar with the case because um, it didn't lead, for example, to the conviction of innocent people, which we have seen in the past uh, two decades on multiple occasions. And uh, then these stories become really big news stories. And this one has, 
just been looming in the background so i was never very aware of it but um you know what often happens when when a child is missing or a child gets killed then then indeed it has a has an impact in um in uh, in society and i remember at primary school that uh, very often you know we would always uh, watch the yogsanal for example in class and uh, then we would discuss these sort of things because you know it can make an impact on children of course yeah for me personally not no but for for a lot of people who are older and uh, a lot of adults they, they uh, for that that's true for them that's true yeah so Saskia Bellemann is a uh, is a court reporter and she always does this live tweeting about uh, these court cases and she tweeted a photo of one of the evidences and that was a sort of digital photo of of the underwear of uh, of, of Nicky Verstappen and there were more DNA traces of uh, Jos Bay on that piece of underwear than there were of Nicky Verstappen uh, and it was a very gruesome picture I thought it was uh, you know they had then they made a 3d model of of this this uh, this this young boy's underwear but it was really yeah uh it, it really had an impact i thought yeah 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 it would that was tough to see it's this is a it's an awful case um well yeah we will see the trial is uh is is ongoing so i'm sure we'll have more updated uh news as we move forward In sports news, Ajax have been drawn against Liverpool, Atalanta Bergamo and Midtjylland in the group stages of the Champions League. It's a tough group that pits them against the winners from two seasons ago and the team that reached the quarterfinals last year. It's also the first time Ajax have lined up against Liverpool since 1966 and the famous game in the fog, which Amsterdam has won 5-1 against all expectations. Atalanta have three Dutch players in their side, uh, in their squad rather, Hans Harteboer, Martin de Roon and Sam Lammers, and the Danish side Midtjylland beat Slavia Prague to reach the group stages for the first time. Also on Thursday night, PSV Eindhoven joined Feyenoord and AZ in the group stages of the Europa League by beating Rosenborg 2-0 in Norway. And has there been any transfer news? Uh, yes, because Ajax has sold teenage defender Serginho Dest to Ronald Koeman's Barcelona. Uh, the Catalan club paid 21 million euros for the 19-year-old who decided last year he wanted to play for the United States rather than the Netherlands. Ooh. There's ice ice cubes there. I mean, what? I, of course. <laughs> exactly. The transfer sum could rise to 26 million if he plays enough games, although he's only played 22 games for Ajax, so that might take a while. Um, Dest was born in Almira, but he has an American mother, hence he qualifies for the United States. Ajax immediately went out and spent 5 million of the transfer money on FC Utrecht's right back, Sean Kleiber. I mean, if I would grow up in Almira, I also would hate the Netherlands. So yeah, I, I, I can understand his decision. He, you, know, you know what it is? He's probably had to go to the States so he can learn to drive, right? Yes, Paul, please tell them the Almira story. Please tell it. Almira is a city, I think it was built in the 70s or in the 80s. It was completely planned. And that means that uh, all the roads are, all the modes of transportations are separated. So if you if you are cycling in Almira, you will not, you will never cross a road. There are underpasses, there are overpasses, bus lanes are separated. Uh, and only when you as a cyclist encounter cars uh, it is in a 30 uh, kilometer speed limit zone so uh, because of this uh, Almere is too a unique city to learn to drive so it's not allowed to have your driver's exam over there because uh, uh, when you learn how to drive in Almere you literally don't know how to drive anywhere else in the world and that'd be terrible that mean you could you could only ever drive a car in Almere <laughs> exactly and the whole point of owning a car in Almere is that you get drive away yeah. you can get out of yeah. people yeah. from Belgium go to Almere and just have their heads explode 
Is that what happens? <laughs> they should, we should we should organize those sort of trips, I think. Yeah. Gordon, was there any other sports news? Uh, there's one other eye-catching transfer uh, I saw this week, uh, which is uh, Mohamed Raihi has left PSV Eindhoven. He's 26 years old, he's a striker, and he's going to Al-Batin in Saudi Arabia. And just in case anyone was in any doubt about his motives, he spelled them out in a refreshingly frank and honest interview. He said, quote, People don't go to Saudi Arabia to look at the oil industry or take the next step to the Champions League. It's purely about the money. He's really, uh, really embraced the Dutch directness. I appreciate that. Long-time listeners will know, uh, looking at you, Minneapolis, that we used to have a recurring segment on the podcast, and that was Animal News in the Netherlands. For unclear reasons, uh, at some point we stopped doing this, but this week we saw so much animal news uh, that we simply cannot ignore it. First, we go to Enkhuizen in North Holland, where fishers have sounded the alarm bells in the past few months. They have seen a staggering increase of enormous catfish in the waters around Enkhuizen. Uh, the local fishing club told North Holland's Dagblad it is a true plague and something needs to be done. And in the past uh, week, four catfish of almost two meters have been caught. Uh, Enkhuizen is not the only place in the Netherlands that is plagued by catfish. The number of catfish in Dutch waters have increased by tenfold in the past 25 years. And last summer, the record of biggest catfish caught was broken three times in one week in two different places. How, how long do you think the longest catfish is in the Netherlands? Mm, 1.7 meters 2.27 jesus that's a big catfish could you imagine just one of them like cruising down the canal and yeah <laughs> indeed just imagine walking with your dog around uh, the canals of delft and then all of a sudden uh, a catfish eats truby yeah that's exactly what would happen i mean there is a solution to the catfish problem uh, that is delete tinder no eat <laughs> That was a good joke. Uh, you can eat them. Catfish are delicious. So really? catch oh. the catfish. Yes, they're super tasty. They do not look very tasty. I, have to I mean, a lot of stuff doesn't look tasty before it ends up on your plate, Paul. Ooh, yeah, but, but the catfish is really looks really appalling, I think. Yeah. Eat, eat, eat more catfish. Dutch local authorities have called on the national government to take action against the American crayfish. Uh, which they say are damaging water plants and wildlife, and more importantly, they uh, cause canal bank damage. Uh, I don't think they are damaging the dikes, are they? No, it's I hope. not as far as I'm aware of. No, because then we would really have to do something about this. Indeed, the crayfish are thought to have traveled from their native United States in the ballast tanks of large freighters uh, and are well adapted to local waterways. They are particularly common in Utrecht, North Holland, and South Holland. Fishing for them is not a structural solution because they reproduce very rapidly and uh, they also have no natural enemies in the Netherlands. They have at least one natural enemy in the Netherlands. Uh oh. It is me. Because crawfish <laughs> are so tasty. <laughs> they are so good. I think you should, you should, you should, uh, 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 I think you should start a career in, in fishing in Dutch waters. And eating things and that eating Dutch things people can't that seem to handle. Indeed, yeah. yeah. I mean, crawfish boils are extremely delicious, and I just don't understand why people don't eat them here. I mean, they're like basically like tiny lobsters. They're super delicious. Hmm. You just eat the crawfish. It's great. Eat the crawfish. Eat the eat catfish. The catfish. Problem solved. Problem solved. And uh, yeah. People from the American South are looking at these problems going like, yes, this is what we call an abundance. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, local councils have now voted by 98 to 2 to urge the government to get involved and draw up an action plan by the end of the year. 
please consult me if they need to learn how to cook either catfish or crawfish. I'm here for you. <laughs> Other stuff you can eat. A pig in Twente has occupied the police for a couple of hours on Tuesday night. The animal escaped a local farm and wandered around the area for a large portion of the night. A driver who nearly hit the pig called the police who started the search for the animal at 4 a.m. And one and a half hour later, they found the, the pig and arrested him after they brought him to the nearest police station. But not before he pooped in the police van. Um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, the owner picked up the pig the next day and he's doing very fine. Did they post a photo on uh, of the pig with his eyes blacked out? No, they did not. But they oh, did. Oh, that's they, disappointing. They did point uh, post a photo of the pig in the police van. He he didn't. He hadn't pooped yet. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out and uh, help us pay our tickets to uh, Minneapolis, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Uh, you can earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast and we will answer all your ridiculous questions. My thanks to Gordon Derek and Molly Quell. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. During the Corona crisis. Shut up, Siri. <laughs> this is guys this is the worst podcast recording we've ever done yeah. <laughs> it is it is how you yeah, yeah. how you back as you does it <laughs> <laughs> um. so